notes, you know, that they continue to go on and sing, and the Grinch eventually goes down and becomes part of, or is accepted into part of the Whovilles, and so we want to encourage you as, this, as we jump in, we're going to continue our series, How the Grinch Steals Christmas, and today we're going to look at worship, and the reality is, is this, in a lot of times, in a lot of cases, in a lot of situations, the reason the Grinch steals Christmas in our lives is because we've allowed it to be stolen. In other words, we've given it away. We've let our joy be stolen by things and, and situations and circumstances, which was what we looked at last week. We think about, well, I can never be successful, and so we don't understand what it means to be in God's favor and to be obedient to what God's done, because a lot of times we walk into disobedience, so that is a way that the Grinch can steal Christmas. But I want you to think about today and how the Grinch steals Christmas and the reality of how the Grinch steals our worship. Or maybe it's the fact that we give away our worship. In other words, we worship things that shouldn't be in a place of or a position of authority in our life. And so we end up allowing those things to become the idols in our lives. And that's what we end up worshiping through through this Christmas season. And so today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Again, last week we were in verses 8 through 12. We're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to read on through verse 18. So if you have your uh, Bibles, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And we're going to read to verse 18. And listen to what he says. And it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. We looked at that a little bit last week. But listen to verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ." The Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, listen to this, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning about what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now, here's the reality of what we're going to dig into and what we're going to look at. See, when Jesus was born, there were no church bells there was no announcement by a king. There was no Facebook post or Twitter feed or Instagram or, or anything like that to let everybody know, hey, Jesus has come. And certainly there was no press, even to the, to the point today where there was no press to declare that the coming Messiah had been born. No, rather Jesus showed up. One single angel showed up to show this group of shepherds, a bunch of lowly guys who were around a bunch of stinky sheep who were not accepted in the rest of society, the rest of culture. Now, this angel shows up to this group of shepherds, and all I can think about is this. Imagine the shock when the night sky is illuminated or blown open or torn open with the appearance of an angel. Listen again what he says in verse or chapter 2, starting in verse uh, nine, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, if you think about anything in Scripture, I want you to think about this. Every time an angel showed up, most everybody freaked out. If an angel showed up on your doorstep, or if you were out in the middle of nowhere, 
taking care of your sheep, or maybe let's just say camping, and all of a sudden an angel shows up, you're going to freak. Because it says that this angel just appears out of nowhere. And so this angel shows up, and then listen to what it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around him. Now, if you know anything about the Lord's glory, at least the way Scripture communicates it, and what we see throughout all of the New Testament and even into Revelation is this, that when God shows up, it is very clear and very evident. That's why the, the, the scripture is very clear that you have to understand that when somebody says, hey, I just ran out to Jesus out in the fields, he says, don't believe him because you're going to know when Jesus shows up. But in Revelation, it says at this point that when Christ comes back and when we are with Christ in heaven and he establishes a new heaven and new earth, that there will be no more sun or moon or stars because God's glory will light everything up. So when you slowly think about or when it slowly processes in your mind that when this angel shows up and the glory of the Lord shines around him, there's a great reason for them to be very terrified. There's an understanding that takes place. These shepherds would have most likely known about the prophecies of the coming Messiah. They would have known the fact of what was supposed to take place and what was going to happen. And all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, here comes this angel and the glory of the Lord shines around them. And they have every right to be afraid. As a matter of fact, if you and I were to come into that contact, we would understand that in likewise situation. Here's, here's what I'm worried about oftentimes in our American understanding is I'm not sure how we would respond because we're so quick and so easy to give our worship away. We give our worship to everything else. You know, it's very easy to go to church or, or, or go to a football game when the weather's bad. We go to certain things when the weather's... We, 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 we will make every effort to do those things. But I want, I want to ask you this question. And I'm going to be very point blank. I'm not trying to be legalistic, but I want to ask you this. Are you willing to do anything and everything it takes to get to the family, to the house of God on a Sunday? Because we are oftentimes easily talked into going somewhere else and doing something else. Now listen, I understand things come up, but when you make it a priority to worship with the body, to worship with the family, to worship with the brothers and sisters in Christ. There is something that takes place. There's an understanding that we get to celebrate together. See, this is the Advent season where the church focuses on the birth of Jesus Christ, focuses on the birth of our Savior, focuses on the one who says, hey, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people, not just the people here in the building, but for everybody. And so as a result, what we have to begin to see is this, that what we worship is going to be seen by all. You know, I, I told you last week about the, the, the little, I think I told you last week, maybe I was just talking to somebody about it, but I posted a little uh, meme on Facebook last week that if, if Kevin McAllister was eight years old um, and was out his, without his mom and dad, and he made it to church, there should be no excuse for any adult to not make it to church because he would did it without his mom and dad when he was alone at eight years of age. So there should be no excuse as to why you can't do it. Now, that's a joke, and it's a funny thing, but I want you to think about this. What we worship is seen by all, is it not? The priorities we place in our life shows what we worship. If we chase after gifts or presents and traditions, then maybe that is what has become our idol. 
See, sadly, what I worry about oftentimes is that we make church attendance oftentimes be about the tradition rather than church attendance being, I get to celebrate together with my brothers and sisters in Christ the resurrection of the Savior, the one who died for my sins, the one who was born as a virgin, the one who went through every temptation and every struggle that I went through, and the one who who gave himself up for me. See, we walk through Sunday morning and Sundays oftentimes out of tradition rather than out of passion and excitement, rather than understanding God's glory and everything that goes on. If God showed up here today and the glory of the Lord shone around us, do you know what would happen? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, I think, here would freak out. You would stand in awe and amazement. See, here's what I think is that during Christmas, things can arise that we will allow to steal our joy we will allow to steal the true meaning of Christmas. We may even uh, allow it to steal our worship. But as we look at today, what I want to ask you this is this. I want to ask you, do you give away your worship? See, how the Grinch steals Christmas is oftentimes with this. We give away our worship to other things. So here's the main statement. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. Worship is our personal and corporate response to God for who he is and what he's done. Worship is our personal and our corporate. Do you get that big picture of what's personal? Me and him, right? It's my worship is my personal response to what God has done for me. But it's our corporate response as a body because of what God or because of who God is and what he's done. So worship is yes, individual, but worship is also what? It's familial. It's a body. It's a body life. There's a corporate aspect that takes place. Now, I guarantee you, here's the first thing. The minute I said worship, how many of you thought singing? Oh, come on. One person, the rest of you are like, oh, no, I'm way too mature for that. How many of you actually thought singing when I said worship? Oh, seriously, you bunch of liars. <laughs> I'm going to go down. All right, listen. Here, here, if worship is our personal and corporate response to God for who he is and what he's done, here's the question. Then what is worship for me? How am I supposed to worship? What are we supposed to do? And I believe that there is, as we dig into this section of Scripture again, we'll be able to see that there is something great about the truth of worship. Number one is this, that worship begins and ends with God. Matter of fact, I've used this in the past. I say it all the time. When, we were youth, when I was a youth pastor down in Texas and we were working with the youth group, when we would ask the teenagers, what is worship? What was the first thing they said? It's not about me. But sadly, in some way, shape, or form, we think that worship is about who? Me. If I like it, I'll do it. If I don't like it, I'm not. If I like the song, I'll sing it. If I don't like it, I'm not. If I like the prayer, I'll pray it. If I don't like it, I'm not going to. We oftentimes think that that is the aspect that takes place in worship when the reality is worship begins and ends with God, who God is, what God accomplished, everything about what God did. See, worship shouldn't, should matter to you because it matters to God. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about it in this way. Worship doesn't begin with me. It begins and ends with God. Why? Because God is worthy of all praise, all adoration, all rejoicing in every way, shape, or form from all people and for all 
times, God is worthy of that. Why? Because of what he's done and who he is. First of all, because he is God. Because he is the center of everything. He is the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the originator. He's the life giver. He, is alone. he alone is wonderful. He is our mighty God. He is our everlasting father. He alone is our prince of peace. So worship begins and ends with God. That's the whole point of what worship is. And what you have to begin to understand is this, that the shepherds understood that at this point. The shepherds see what's going on, and it's not just the shepherds. Who else is it? It's the angel. It's the heavenly host that shows up. This is something that we have to begin to understand. You know, as a kid, I used to, I couldn't wrap my mind around this. Wait, you're going to tell me, so when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, and all I'm going to do is worship God. As a kid, you're going, that just doesn't make sense. And a lot of times, I think it's that way in our lives as well. So that's what, that's all that's going to take place. Do you understand that when he talks about that the glory of the Lord shone around him, you're going to be in such awe and wonder and amazement that I hope you don't understand it completely right now. I hope I don't understand it completely right now because it's going to be so overwhelming. It's going to be so awe-inspiring. It's going to be so challenging and convicting to understand that we are in the presence of a loving God who sent his son for us and we're going to worship him for the rest of our lives. Now, that may sound conceited to some of you, but if I'm the one who created everything, I'm the one who formed everything and fashioned everything, I'm the one who sent my son to die on the cross, you better believe that I'm going to be the one who's going to say, you know what, that's what it's going to be because I control everything. Worship begins and ends with God. And that's where we have to begin to understand. The words we sing on Sunday morning, and I hope you hear this out clearly, I have no, no qualms, no grief whether it's traditional or contemporary. I really could care less. But I will tell you very clearly that the one thing we focused on, and we focus on it wholeheartedly, is that the words we sing are uplifting to Jesus, that the words we sing point others to Christ, that the words we sing are not based upon traditions or anything else, but they're based upon God's word so that we can grow to know God more through what we sing, and that those words are truthful and will point me every day to the cross of Christ, and to the empty tomb. Because that's the very thing that everything rotates and revolves around. Worship begins and ends with God. Why? Because He's God. And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And in the midst of that death, He rose again, defeating sin, defeating death, and offering all of us life. Remember again, good news of great joy that will be for all people. Jesus' death on the cross was not for a few. Jesus' death on the cross was for all if you put your faith and trust in him, if you choose to believe, if you choose to acknowledge him. So worship begins and ends with God. And that's what we see in verse 9. But starting and following along, I want you to think about this. Worship, when we worship or we worship, what is worship? Number two is this, that we worship to bring God glory. Look at verses 13 and following. Listen, it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, all right, I'm going to jump into verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to, uh, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Listen, here, here's the reality and here's what we begin to see and here's what you have to understand. If worship is our personal and corporate response to God for who he is and what he's done, then we have to understand this. It's a what? It's a response. 
In other words, there's a words of action. Worship is our, what? Response to God. If, if I am an individual and I come to you and I talk to you and I'm, I'm asking you questions and I'm interacting with you and you never respond to me, how am I going to act? How am I going to feel? Are you showing me love? Are you showing me care? Are you showing me acceptance? Or what are you showing me? See, if worship is our response to God, then that means that we are reacting to what He has done. We are responding to what He's done. It is a response. That means it's a movement. If we don't initiate it, it is God-initiated. So remember, worship begins with God. It ends with God. But we don't initiate worship. God does. Why? Because worship is our response to what He's already done for us. Worship is our response to what he's doing in us. Worship is also our response as to what he is going to do through us. In everything we do, we respond with worship. Remember going back to Romans chapter 1. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I offer, or, or I, I, I beseech you, brothers, to, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So then in everything, my life would bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. In everything, my life would bear witness that Jesus loved me, he loves everybody else, he died for me, and he died for everybody else, and that all it takes is a simple act of faith to believe, to put my faith and trust in Christ when he's calling me, when he's responding to me. See, he reveals. He reveals we respond. He unveils, we respond. He loves, we love in return. He speaks, we answer. He leads, we follow. Do you see the response? Now, he could lead, and you could say, fine, I'm not going to follow. Is that a response? Yeah, it's a response. It's a disobedient one. When we worship, we worship to bring God glory. And so as a result... We want to walk in obedience. Listen, here's the beauty of this text, and I think it's great, is that first of all, an angel appears, then the glory of the Lord shows around him, and then here's the thing that would freak you out above all things, in my opinion. Number one, it's not, it's not, it's not even just crazy enough that God's glory shows up, but it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appears. Yeah. How big is a company? Well, it depends on who you ask. If you're talking army guys, a couple hundred, a couple thousand. Flip to Revelation chapter 5. I'm just going to read this. You don't have to go there if you don't want. Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 11, and listen to what happens. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels. Listen to this. Numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. What's 10,000 times 10,000? A lot. 100 million. 100 million. And that's not even talking about the thousands upon thousands. It says there's thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. So let's just throw this out there. He just says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts. So we don't really know how many, 
but there's a lot. So you got an angel shows up, you got the glory of the Lord shining around him, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, let's just throw this out there, five million angels show up. Now how do you respond? I mean, we spent last night out at Worlds of Fun, and you see all the lights, you're like, whoa, this is cool. It doesn't even begin to compare. It doesn't even, I mean, that's, that's like, that doesn't even hold a candle to anything. I mean, it's like, psh. five million angels, the glory of the Lord shining around them, angels standing out, telling them, hey, you guys got to be ready. I bring you good news of great joy. And how did the shepherds respond? Let's say they responded in song, did it? Now, I'm not, I'm not knocking song, I'm not knocking singing, but they responded in worship. See, we worship to bring God glory. See, God's glory is on display every day and every night, in every setting, in every situation, and we have to learn to watch for God's glory in the midst of everything we do. Every good time and every bad time. God shows up and God is showing off. Matter of fact, when we think about this whole idea of God's glory, the Shekinah glory of God, in other words, this cloud of intolerable brightness that was, that was literally the, the, the token of the divine presence in the tabernacle and the temple, that God's glory would shine. Remember how the, in the Old Testament they would follow him a pillar by fire by day, pillar of smoke, sorry, pillar of smoke by day, pillar of fire by night, all right? This idea of God's glory dwelling in the tabernacle and in the temple between in the seat of holies on the Ark of the Covenant between the two cherubim is this idea that God's glory shows up. Never before had there been such a manifestation. Never before had anybody seen anything like this. And listen to who he does it to. Who's he do it to? A king. The rich. The religious. Who's he do it to? Shepherds shepherds. I mean, don't take this wrong, but it would be like Jesus showing up and going to the prostitutes down on the hood corner and saying, hey, and a shepherd or the, the prostitutes walk in, they're like, hey, we just saw Jesus. We just saw an angel who told us about the good news of, of this birth of this child. That's, that's literally the idea. Why? Because shepherds were dirty, nasty. They were outcasts of society. They were lowly. They weren't educated. And God shows up to the shepherds through this angel. What had been a privilege in the past to the patriarchs and to the priests when they would enter the Holy of Holies is now with man. God shows these not just for the rich or the religious, he's also for the poor because they were poor in spirit, both Physically as well as spiritually. See, the Bible doesn't tell us how many angels there were, but there was a great amount. And what we can see is that worship begins and ends with God, and that when we worship, we worship to bring God glory, because that's exactly what the angels were doing there. They're acknowledging the truth of the Christ child. They're acknowledging the great news. And listen, here's number three. Why do we worship, or what, what is worship? I want you to see this. We worship God for who God is and what he has done. We worship for who God is and what he's done. Look at verse 14. 
This is again the angels, the great company of the heavenly host. Glory to God in the highest. Remember they're talking about glory again. They're honoring and offering worship. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. See, the angels declared peace. Not world peace, but rather peace between God and man. Why? Because we don't live at peace with God anymore. We live in a sinful, broken society. We live in a sinful, broken world, and all of us are sinners. And if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you're a sinner saved by grace, but you're still a sinner. But Jesus offers peace. He is the one who offers peace with God because it's with the relationship with Jesus Christ that you are only made righteous. And so we worship God for who God is and what he's done. See, prior to Jesus, there was no peace. There was the wrath and the judgment and the sin of everything we see. But sin, if sin makes us the enemy of God because we choose to disobey, we choose to rebel against him, Jesus makes us the peace or at peace with God because we are now obedient to him by putting our faith and trust in him. See, when Jesus was born and died on the cross to pay the punishment of our sin, he made peace between God and man. He paid the price for us. He offers the peace that we need. Listen again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. How do we gain the favor of God? It's not by anything you can do. See, in the past, a lot of times people think, well, if I just attend church all the time. But church can become the idol because church can become the, listen, tradition. That's why so many churches struggle. That's why so many churches die because certain things become a tradition that cannot be kicked out because Jesus isn't the focus. The tradition becomes the focus. And when we allow a tradition to become the focus, we've missed the main point. What's the main point? That Jesus is always on the throne. That Jesus is king of our life. That Jesus is king of the church. That what Jesus says is what the church should do. Not what we think we should do or what we think we should like. I remember telling, and I know this is going to sound callous and harsh, but I remember getting into a conversation with an individual at one point, and I said, well, the Bible says this. And they said, I don't care what the Bible says. I want it this way. And it was like, whoo, let me get away from you because I don't want to be anywhere near you when that's the attitude. Listen to me, the very thing that should drive us as a church is God's word. The very thing that should drive us is obedience to what God has called us to do. The very thing that should push us out is the fact that Jesus said, or God offers peace to all men, for all people, good news of great joy. And we want everyone, listen, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. I want everybody to experience that peace. What's it like when you have peace and quiet versus chaos. What's your life like? When you finally sit down and you're like, oh, man. Listen to me. There are people looking for answers throughout life. They're looking for answers in so many different directions. And they can't find peace because they're looking for peace in, in money. And they're looking for peace in people. And they're looking for peace in politics. Huh? If you haven't figured it out, politics doesn't bring peace, it brings division. <laughs> Sorry, 
Just got to throw that in there. Let me drop kick it. You know, it's the reality. When we look for peace in every other direction rather than looking for peace in Christ, then you're always going to find nothing but chaos. And here, here's the beauty of the Who's and Whoville. When they woke up and everything was gone, it didn't change their response, did it? See, here's the problem I feel most of our lives rotate around. If God is blessing me and things are going good, then my response is worship. When all hell breaks loose and I'm going through the pit and I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to cry out with a fist and go, God, where are you? See why I don't talk to you. See why I don't worship you. And that's usually the response. And the who's in Whoville understood that the presence and the stockings and the tree and the light were just mere possessions. It didn't take away the fact that Christmas was something else. Listen to me, Christmas is something else. And you have a chance to experience peace, the peace to all men that we can understand because God's favor rests on us. And then number four is this, what is worship? If worship is our personal and corporate response to God for who he is and what he's done, number four is this, worship is life. In other words, worship is everything in my life. Everything I do. Here's, here's, here's the worry. Here's the struggle. You have one life. You have one brief time to declare your allegiance, to show your affection, and to exalt God, not yourself. But listen to me. A lot of times we, we go through a situation or circumstance and we'll say things like this. Man, if I was just a missionary here, or if I just was an athlete there that I could use this, this great platform to see people come to Christ. Can I tell you something? Do you know who God uses Let's go back to the shepherds. Ordinary lowlifes. That's the reality. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And he point where he says, do you remember where you were? Do you remember who you were? See, worship is life. And if you won't worship God in the small, mundane things, you would never worship God in the big things. I'll even use this as an example. So we got a thousand gift cards out there, or, or invite cards out there, right? We talk about wanting to go to our neighbors. We talk about wanting to reach our community. What's a small, mundane, tedious thing to do? All I got to do is grab a card, go next door, knock on my neighbor's door, and invite them. All I got to do is grab a card, put it in my wallet, when I'm paying for lunch today, invite the person who's checking me out. All I got to do is grab a card, go to work. And the person that I work with next to me, I just say, hey, man, we're, our church is having Christmas Eve service. I'd love to invite you. See, that's just a small thing. I'm not even asking you. Listen to me. And I, I'm not even going to go here to a certain extent, but I'm not even asking you to share the gospel, am I? What am I asking you to do? A mundane task of simply inviting people to church. That doesn't get people saved. Inviting them to church doesn't get them saved. Hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel is what leads people to salvation. 
If you're not willing to do the small things, you'll never do the big things. He who is faithful with little will be given more. It's very simple. It's very truthful. It's what we see all throughout Scripture. See, most people find themselves in places that don't seem all that spiritual or worshipful, jobs that seem pointless, circumstances that don't seem to have eternal significance. And, and listen, all of those things I understand, but it's the normal, everyday, mundane things that you have a chance to show that worship is life. See, your attitude of worship can turn the menial daily tasks into worship of God. Matter of fact, I try and tell this to our kids. Everything that you do should be an act of worship. If it's playing baseball, it's an act of worship. If it's driving a forklift, it's an act of worship. If it's serving somebody as a nurse, it's an act of worship. If it's teaching, that's an act of worship. Here's one of the reasons why I struggle with this. You want to know who I believe should be the hardest workers, who should be the most thorough workers, who should be the workers who do everything up to the standard that their boss requests, whether you agree with it or not. You want to know why I think that should be this way? Because it's an act of worship. Matter of fact, if Ecclesiastes chapter 9, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Listen to this, as if you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. Why you should be the best worker is because it's an act of worship. If you can't be obedient in the small things, don't expect God to come through in the big things. And while that may sound harsh, that's the reality that worship is life. Worship is everything in your life. That everything you do should bring honor and glory to God. Why? Because He created you. He formed you and fashioned you. He knew the numbers of hairs on your head. Some of you don't have many, but he knows them. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every star in the sky. He formed and fashioned you for a greater purpose and a greater plan. And a lot of times our greater purpose and greater plan may seem menial and mundane, but the reality is that God has something bigger for you. Worship is our personal and corporate response to God for who he is and what he has done. It's so simple but yet so complicated in our life. Listen, the Grinch wants to steal your worship today, and I can tell you that wholeheartedly. Satan wants to do everything he can to keep you off track, to get you away from what God wants you to do. So here's this very simple response, and here's what I believe is something we can all look at. There's gonna be something for everybody. Number one, have you put your faith and trust in Christ? If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, guess what your first spiritual act of worship is? that you call out to Jesus to save you from your sins because he is the only one who offers you peace from God. Number two is this. Maybe it's just a simple fact that I have to understand since worship is our personal and corporate response that I'm supposed to be a part of the church, that I need to plug in, I need to be connected, I need to be a part of the team, I need to join the church so you can join the church. But here's the other thing too, church, and I want you to understand this if you're already a believer. Maybe it's just a simple fact that you need to focus your heart's refocus, your heart's attention and affection towards Christ first and foremost. That you don't allow Christmas to be overwhelmed by everything else, the presents, the stockings, the tree, and everything else that could disappear in a heartbeat. 
but did you let Christmas be the focus that it was on Jesus and Jesus alone because that is the one who offers us peace to God. Let me wrap up with this. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to finish, and this is how I want to respond or, or how I want you to see how it closes out. Luke chapter 2, listen to what happens in verse 15 or 16. It says, they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Here's the simple response to the gospel. That when you speak the gospel in truth and love, people will stand amazed. Some may stand amazed and say, there's no way. Others may stand amazed and say, that's where I want. I need that hope and I need that peace. That is how worship is life. Because the shepherds were obedient. They heard what God was doing. They saw what God did. They made it all about God. And they said, we got to go tell other people about it. And my simple question is this. Do you need to refocus your heart's attention and affection? so that others can know the good news of the peace of Jesus Christ, the peace for all men whose favor rests, or whose God, who, whatever, you know what I mean. That was a terrible wrap-up. I just blew that one out of the water. Anyways, let's pray. Well, Father, I pray today, just as we close up with the song, that God, while singing, can be an easy way to redirect our heart's attention, our our focus, our affections. God, I pray that over this Christmas season, in the midst of being able to maybe give away our worship, God, that we would understand that we would fight for the fact that we want your glory to be made known. We want people to know who Jesus is, that everything that we do is pointing others to Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray just as we do that, that we would understand that worship is our personal as well as our corporate response to who you are. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. Through you, all things were created. Without you, nothing was made that has been made. And God, we also acknowledge that through you, you sent your son, Jesus Christ. And that God, Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life, tempted in every way, tried in every fashion we have been tried, but there was no sin with him. And he went to the cross and he bore the weights of the the sins of the world. And he died on the cross and he paid the price, offering us peace with you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and he rose again. So God, I pray that we would understand the beauty of your glory, that God, everything we do would be about bringing your name fame and bringing you glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. How is God